How many of you, just can we be honest in church, how many of you resonate with that thought that sometimes we let ourselves down? Or, or we let God down because we know he asked us something and we didn't do it. And I was just thinking, even this morning, as we we're in the middle of sharing communion, that night when Jesus sat around the table with his disciples, he knew in advance that they were all going to let him down. And in fact, one of them was, was actually going to betray him so that he would be handed over to be killed. And Jesus still never gave up. If, if I'm sitting around the room with guys that I've just invested my life into and I'm thinking, hey, we're in this together, we're going to do this, we're going to go all the way, but oh, they're all going to let me down. I would, I would be tempted to not do my plan or to find 12 other guys or somebody else that would do it, yet he stuck with them. And, and that's the same thing for us. No matter the times we've let them down, and he knows, he knows they're going to do it. He, he sat down with the disciples at the table and said, you're all going to leave me before the end of this night. And how many of us, it's like he knows the times that we're going to leave him or we're going to say, hey, I'm not going to do what you asked me to do or I can't make it. And he still never gives up on us. So I just encourage you with that, even as we were sharing communion this morning and remembering that moment that he really is faithful, that he never, ever gives up on us. And uh, man, thank you, Jesus. Let's just tell him, just say thank you, Jesus. That's a good moment to just thank him. Oh, he's so faithful. Well, thanks for being here today. I trust that everybody enjoyed your week off last week. Hopefully you got to spend some time with friends and family and uh, have something else to do. We're, we're back together. We're going to start a new series this week. And I'm going to look, uh, it's called Contenders and Pretenders. And I, I'm wanting us all to be contenders, but sometimes we really are pretenders and we need to get our act together. But we're going to look at some stories from the book of Kings or the kings of Israel and see what lives, what they led and what we can learn from them. And uh, as I was looking at some of the kings of Israel, how many of you have read Chronicles, Samuel, and Kings? Like you're familiar with some of the guys that are in that story. And uh, I'm really doing this series because I want to remind us that if God could still move with those guys in charge... He's still able to do something right now, right here today. There's still hope for our lives. Whether it's who's in elected office or who's your boss at work, it doesn't matter. God can still carry out his plans no matter who's in charge of things. And ultimately, God can still work in our lives no matter what we've done. Just thinking about the times we let him down, he's still faithful and he's still going to carry out his good plans for us. Uh, have you ever had somebody in your family that you were proud to be related to, that you were looking in your family history? and you're like, yes, that guy's in our family tree. Come on, 23andMe, Ancestry.com. It seems like everybody these days is related to somebody famous. You take these DNA tests and you're going around telling all your friends, I'm related to the Queen of England, you know, four generations ago or five generations. We all, we're all related to somebody like that. It seems like the more you find out, the more everybody's got a story of somebody they're related to. And uh, I know somewhere in Pam's family history uh, is the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. He's, he's in that line somewhere back in their family history. And I know for sure that I'm related to a lot of people that needed to sing Amazing Grace. That's kind of where my family is. So that's, no, mom's, mom's thinking, no, no, there's nobody in our family like that. Let there be light. Maybe. We're leaning on the switches. Thank you, thank you. So there, there's people in our family that we're proud to be related to that we tell everybody about. Is there anybody in your family that you're embarrassed to be related to? If they're sitting in this room, don't make eye contact with them right now. What did, oh, Cousin Bob, do you know what he did at the last family reunion? Or Aunt Sally, you know, I, I was going to put 
How many of you have ever seen the embarrassing family photos online? Like people that dress their kids up or they took these family pictures that you just go, oh, no. I was going to put some of those on the screen today, but I figured the way things roll for me, somebody related to those people would be in the room today. And they'd be like, why would you say that about Aunt Sally? Like, so I didn't put any of those pictures up there, but there are some people in our family that sometimes we're embarrassed about. Sometimes we're just hoping that we're not that person for everybody else in our family. Maybe it's just me. Or, or we're hoping, man, I hope I didn't get that person's DNA in our family tree. Whatever it is, sometimes there's people we're embarrassed by. Sometimes there's people we're proud of. Sometimes, is there anybody that you've ever purposely, you wanted to leave them out of talking about your family history because they weren't a good person? Maybe they were downright evil. I, I figured out people are quick to tell you, hey, I'm related to the, the King of England or the Queen of Scotland or something like that. But they're not so excited to tell you, hey, I'm related to Genghis Khan. Or Vlad the Impaler is in my family tree. Nobody's ever heard that, right? Because there's people that we kind of leave out of the story because we're not proud of the things that they've done. And I want to tell you the Bible really is a book about God and his family. And whether they were great people that did great things, they were people that were embarrassing, or they were people that did evil things, God put every single one of them in his story. He didn't erase anybody. He didn't scrub them out. Uh, for me, that actually adds believability to the Bible. If, if I was writing a story, I think I would try to make it look as rosy and, and nice as possible. I would make everything look perfect. But God didn't do that. He left the people in there that let him down or the people that outright were opposed to him. And he put every one of them in the story for us. And I just want to encourage us, even there up front, don't scrub people or events out of your history. There's... God uses every single one of those people, every single one of those moments to shape us, to teach us, and to mold us. Not just the good ones, the bad ones, the ugly ones, the evil ones. He uses all of those things to teach us something. And I I was reminded of the quote Winston Churchill famously said, those who fail to learn from history are constantly condemned to repeat it. And I was thinking it's hard to learn from history if you don't have any history. If we've deleted everybody from our history, there's nothing to learn from, and we are going to repeat it. So I'm I'm just telling you up front, even as we're going to read about some of these guys in the Bible that did horrific or stupid things, God left them in there for a reason, because they are to be a lesson to us. And uh, thank God that he didn't erase any of us from his story. Come on. As much as he left every one of those people in the Bible, he still loves us and works with us and and includes us in his story. He didn't erase any of them. Uh, He didn't leave everything in there to say, hey, this, these behaviors are okay, or I'm justifying this behavior. He left them in there for us to learn from them. One of the, one of the kings that we're going to talk about, one of the greatest kings of Israel of all time, actually committed adultery, had an affair, and then had a guy murdered to cover it up. Come on. And that's the guy that God said, hey, he was a man after my own heart. Thank God there's hope for me. One of the guys we're going to talk about in this series, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. How he actually had time to govern and be a king of Israel, I have no idea. I can't even imagine that. And it ended up getting him into problems because his wives led him astray into idol worship. Uh, There was one guy in the story that he had a guy killed just so he could get his field. Come on, you're the king. I think you could get whatever you want or get something better and you're having a guy killed just because you want his little plot of ground. God left all of those people in his story. And those were the guys that were in charge. 
Come on, this, this wasn't just random people in the countryside. These were the guys who were the kings. They were setting the example for everyone to follow. They were leading the nation, and God left them in the story. Why did God leave them in the story? Because they're examples to us that we can learn something from. Romans 15, verse 4 says, for everything. Everybody say everything. All that stuff, good, bad, and ugly. It says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Come on, after the cross, the apostles didn't throw out the Old Testament. It's still in the book. There's still things that we can learn from. Now, they added to it. They expanded on it. They, they told people and helped them understand what was written in the Old Testament to, to teach them. But the cross did change everything. When, when we read these stories of the Old Testament, we need to learn something from them. But we're not living in the same circumstances they were. Don't, don't ever try to read yourself into their story or read them into our day. Because the cross really was a point in history that changed things. But when we're reading the Old Testament, according to that verse, we should be thinking about teaching and encouragement, and it should produce hope in us. That's what that verse says. It's everything that was written was written to teach us and encourage us so that we could have hope. If you're ever reading the Old Testament and it doesn't produce encouragement and hope, maybe we're reading it wrong. Maybe we need to go back with a different lens and think, God, what are you wanting to show me from this? I, I read some of these stories, and I think sometimes the encouragement I get from Scripture is, I'm doing way better than them. Whew, like, thank God that it's different than them. But there were a bunch of people in the stories that we're going to look at that they rose up to be the rulers of God's people. They were the kings, whether they deserved it or not, whether they did well, or whether they even followed God or not. They were the king of Israel for a while. Can you imagine somebody leading God's people who wasn't even following God. No wonder they had so many problems that kept popping up in their history. Uh, and the series, this series, we're going to look at lessons that we can learn in our lives from those people, the good, the bad, and the ugly kings. Uh, if you want to go read on your own during this series, you can read through First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. Uh, Chronicles had more to do with priestly interactions with Israel, and Samuel and Kings had to do with the kings and the people in charge in power. Uh, most likely, they were written by Jeremiah and possibly Ezra, compiling some of these stories. So that's that's where we're going to be spend most of our time this month. Uh, but first today, I want to look at what can we learn from how the Israelites went from being just a loosely connected tribe of people to being a kingdom with a king, with somebody in charge of them. So the Israelites were talking to Samuel. He's a pretty famous prophet in the Bible. Uh, in fact, Samuel was such an amazing prophet. It says in scripture that not one of his words fell to the ground. This guy heard from God and it came to pass. And he'd been leading Israel. He was the judge of Israel his whole life. And the people began to talk to Samuel. Uh, Samuel had raised up his kids. He wanted to appoint them. Hey, you're in the family business. Silas, you're going to take over the family business. You're going to be the next in line. He appointed his kids to be judges, but they were terrible. It says they loved money and they were greedy and they took bribes and perverted justice. So his kids weren't doing a good job. And the people came to Samuel. And uh, up till this point, they'd been led directly by God through priests and judges. And this is what they said in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 5. It says, they said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, so he prayed to the Lord. I'm going to talk about, a, just in those two verses, I want to share with you some mistakes 
that they made in Israel that we could avoid in our lives. And uh, the first mistake that they made is a mistake that every generation is tempted to make. You're old. Get out of the way. I know better than you. It's, it's my time now. Come on. We need to do something different because you're old and washed up. How many of you couldn't wait for your parents to stop telling you what to do? Come on. There's like four hands of honest people in the church, and then we're going to preach about lying next time. Sometimes when you're young, you can't wait. Get out of the way. Stop telling me what to do. And then you start living your life, and the older you get, the more you find out, boy, they were really smart. They knew a lot about how life works. I should have listened to them. We <laughs> Generations are meant to be connected. That was the first mistake they made. They came to Samuel and said, you're old, get out of the way. We're going to do something different now. We, here's a secret for you. New Life Fellowship. We aren't supposed to be a young church or an old church. We're called to be a multi-generational church. There is something beautiful about God connecting the generations together. I, I have a pastor friend that, that he calls the, the old generation, the young generation, he calls them the fire and the focus generation. Because the fire generation, it's the, the young people, they got all this energy, they just don't always know where to direct it. And the focus generation, the older ones that have walked with Jesus for a while, there's all this wisdom, but man, I, I'm just a little bit worn out. <laughs> can't do what I used to do all the time. And God, when, if we could ever figure out the secret of connecting those generations, of getting the fire and the focus together, God would do amazing things. So when, when we're looking around the room, there, there is beauty in this room in all the ages, from, from the oldest to the youngest, and there's wisdom in connecting us together. And Samuel got a little bit hurt by their request because he, he knew he was getting old. He wanted his kids to take over for him. But even Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of all time, had failed as a father. And I'm, I'm going to say right here, don't write off other generations just because they made mistakes. There's, we, we could go around the room and just get the list from this week of the mistakes we made and be too long to read up here in, on Sunday morning. We've all made mistakes. We can't write off the wisdom of other people. In fact, thank God that my parents made some mistakes that I could learn from that I didn't have to repeat myself. Come on, there's, there's a time saver in learning from other people's mistakes that we can look at and say, God, let me receive those lessons from the ones that have gone before me so that I can, my, what's the saying? My floor can be their ceiling. Like, that's what we want for our kids. We don't want our kids to have to repeat all the stuff that we went through. We want them to start from here and go forward. And that's exactly what God wants for us. So don't write off the other generations because they've made mistakes. And the older generation, I will tell that to you also regarding the younger generation. Don't write them off just because they've made mistakes. There are things that God wants us to all move forward together. So that was their first mistake in these verses. Samuel, you're old. Get out of the way. The second mistake they made, they weren't thinking supernaturally. We just did a whole series last month on being supernatural people, of getting our eyes off the earth and only seeing what's going on here. But that's exactly what the people of Israel did. We're tired of following this invisible God. Give us a guy that we can see, that he'll be in charge. And if you read back through scripture, uh, before Israel even became a nation, God had made a promise to a guy named Abraham, who was the father of the Jews. And he actually told Abraham and his wife, Sarah, kings are going to come from your descendants. 
But God wasn't just talking about natural kings. In fact, God's plan was for every single one of his people to have a personal relationship with him, to be a king and a priest. That was what he wanted all along. But he told that promise to Abraham, and he said, kings are going to come from you. And the people of Israel were only thinking natural. We want a king like everybody else has, somebody that we can see. Sometimes we have such a hard time wrapping our heads around supernatural or spiritual truths that we try to reduce them. We try to figure it all out. Just give me something I can describe, something I can get my hands on, something I can put in a box. I want to be able to understand it and figure it out. And God doesn't always work that way. He is a supernatural God that sometimes when he makes promises, they go beyond our understanding. And we can't limit them to just things in the natural that we think, oh, that would be nice if that happened. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on that now. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, fix your eyes on what is unseen. Because that's what's eternal. That's what's worth something. That, doesn't that verse sound like a paradox? How do you fix your eyes on something that's unseen? Hello? Can I tell you, we were doing some of that this morning. Just our attention that we were giving him when we worshiped, what we were doing in this room this morning, that was fixing our eyes on what was unseen. We didn't, we didn't see a big cloud. We didn't see God glow and come in the room and walk among us, but he was here and our attention was fixed on him. We were looking at what was unseen this morning. And we have to continue to do that in our lives because the natural tendency is just to get caught up in the earth. What I can touch, see, taste, and smell, that's all the reality is. No, there is more than that. So let's not make the mistake of not being supernatural people. Uh, there's another mistake that I see in this verse when they came and asked Samuel to give them a king. The, this, the third mistake I see is they wanted to be like everybody else. Give us a king just like all those other nations around us. We don't want to be different. God had called them to be different. If you, if you read through Exodus and Deuteronomy, God kept telling them, I've called you to be my special possession. I want you, we always used to joke because the, the King James often uh, uses the word God called them to be a peculiar people. How many of you know that being a peculiar person does not justify being weird as a Christian? It just means be different. You're, you are set apart. You are something special that he's called out of the old life that you used to live to be a new person. And he actually told the Israelites, these differences, you being my special possession, you being my called out ones, this will actually help you be a light to the world. People will notice your lives because they are different. There is something about following God that should make us stand out, that should make us different. People should be able to pick us out of a lineup. I don't know. Sometimes I think people in the world are watching our lives as Christians and they're like, yeah, I can pick the Christian out of the crowd if you paid me. Ooh. Maybe I should move on from that one. <laughs> We're called to be different. Things that look just like everything else don't attract attention. When, when you're driving down the road on a, on, on a trip, maybe you went away for Memorial Day last weekend, if the scenery all looks the same, you just space out. I didn't notice anything. But all of a sudden, there's something different, maybe something unexpected, something that, that catches your eye. That's what you notice, and your eye is drawn to it. It's the same thing with our lives as Christians. There ought to be something about us that attracts people's attention. We don't have to look just like everybody else. In fact, I'll tell you, the only person that we need to be concerned about being just like them is Jesus. And the reality is the more that we concern ourselves with 
looking and acting and, and speaking just like Jesus, the more different we become from the world around us. But it helps us to be a light to the nations. So those are the things that they asked Samuel. Hey, give us a king just like everybody else. You're old, get out of the way. It's time to do something different. And Samuel gives them the standard church answer. Let me pray about it. You guys have never said that to anybody just to end the conversation, have you? That's, uh, no, <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, if I say, let pray. Samuel tells him, let me go pray about it. And he really did. Samuel was being genuine. He says, I'm going to go talk to God. Please don't tell people I'll pray about it if you're not going to go pray about it. That's, you're being a bad witness. But if you're, if you're genuine, I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to hear an answer from him. That's what Samuel did. He said, I'm going to go pray about it. And he went and talked to God. And he heard an answer. And he finds out from God that there was one more problem that we didn't even talk about. And it may have been the biggest problem in the entire conversation and, in fact, the entire history of God's people. This was the biggest problem. First Samuel 8 and verse 7. The Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. The real issue, the number one problem, is they did not want a direct relationship with God. Do you know there are people that, even Christians, that they are terrified of having a relationship with God? Because relationships take work sometimes. They're difficult to navigate. We have to change. We have to adjust. We have to grow. There are things in relationship. Even if you're, if you're thinking about a husband and a wife, over the course of years, there is adjusting that you have to do in a relationship. And that's what God wants us to be in with him. We are in a relationship where we have to change. We have to grow. We have to adjust things in us. And there's a tendency in life, especially with our relationship with God, to let somebody else figure it out for us. Hey, can, can you go read that book and just summarize it and give me the highlights? Cliff, cliff Notes for Christianity. That's, you guys bought those books in high school for your papers? Yellow with the black lines on the front? You, you know what I'm talking about. You didn't have time to read the book. Just tell me the highlights. That's what a lot of people want for Christianity. Just sum it up for me. Tell me what I have to do. Okay, Sunday morning, be there. Put a little bit in the offering plate. You want me to read the Bible and pray? Okay, I guess I can do that. And we want the list. And God's interested in, I want a relationship. Which the things on the list may happen in the relationship, but he's more interested in our heart and our communion with him. And the people of Israel, all the way back to the day that Moses went up to the mountain and said, hey, God wants every one of you to be a king and a priest. He wants to talk to you face to face. And they were afraid. And they said, Moses, you just go talk to him and tell us what he said. And the people didn't want a relationship with God. Ever since that day, it was the same pattern for the Israelites. And I think it still happens today. Just tell me what I have to do to get by. And so they asked Samuel, give us a king like all the other nations. And what they were really saying is we don't want to have that direct relationship with God. And I think sometimes we have to watch out what we ask for because God may just give it to us. Did you ever, did you ever get something that you asked for and it wasn't all that? It wasn't what you thought it was going to be? In fact, maybe it made things worse in life? Samuel warned him. He said, the kings, if you get a king like all the other nations, they're going to tax you. They're going to take your stuff. 
They're going to take your fields and your sons and your daughters. They're going to conscript your sons to be soldiers in the army. They're going to take them to war. They're going to make you work for them. They told them all that stuff up front. Samuel said, having a king is really bad. It's hard for you. And the people still thought that that was preferable to having a relationship with God on their own. I don't. I'd like to think I would have been in the group that said, I want a relationship with God. But maybe it's just because I don't like to pay taxes. I don't know what it is. But I think we probably would have all been in the same boat together with everybody else. They thought it was preferable to have someone that would put a yoke on them rather than have a relationship with God. And I'll tell you, we don't need someone between us and God. That was exactly why Jesus came to alleviate that, to, to alleviate the need to always go to somebody else and say, well, what should I do for God? Or what's he asking me? You can hear God for yourself. We can have a relationship with him for ourselves right now, today. We don't, come on, we still need others. That, that doesn't mean we're all going to leave and never come back together again. We still need others to help us as we walk with God, but we need to hear him for ourselves. This is the action item I wanted us just to do this week. It's really simple, and it's going to help us remember that we can hear God, and it's going to help us obey. We're going to see some stuff. Just ask God for one thing that he wants you to do this week. That's almost an easy out for an action item. Ask God for your action item this week. How amazing would the world be if every one of God's people that gather together on a Sunday morning all over the city asked God this week, tell me what you want me to do this week, and then we did it. Can you imagine what might transform? And it, it may be big things, it may be small things. There, there's, I've heard a story recently, somebody said, hey, I came to church and God told me, go give that person a hug and tell them how much God loves them. Right. Come on, that doesn't sound super complicated, does it? I think I could maybe handle that one. Maybe it depends on who it was. Which is none of you in this room, of course. I'm thinking of somebody that's not here completely. Come on, it may be bigger, it may be small, but this week, let's spend time actually just asking God and listening for his voice. God, give me something to do this week, and I want to do it. And if he really is our king... If he's better than all these kings that we read about in the Bible and we want to do what he wants, uh, just ask him to speak to you about something. We're going to pray in a second. And whatever pops into your head, it's probably the thing he's talking to you about wanting you to do this week. How many, how many times... Oh, gosh. Here's all my, my failings and shortcomings. I can't even begin to list for you the number of times... I think I've heard God say something, but then I try to rationalize it away and move on to something else. And he still is faithful and never gives up on me. Oh, thank you, God. But I want to do what he wants me to do. My heart is oriented towards him, and I want to see him move. So that's what we're going to do is we're going to ask God, speak to us. Just, Lord, one thing. Simple, complicated, big, small. I don't care what it is. One thing that you want me to do this week. And then give me your grace, the power of your Holy Spirit to help me to do it. And next week, we're going to talk about the, the Tom Brady of Israelite kings. The Bible actually says he was the most handsome of all the people and he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. We're going to talk about Saul next week. That was who the Israelites picked. They're like, 
Yes, look at that guy. If we put him out in front, all the other nations will say, we're jealous of your king. That's who they wanted, but God did, looked at different things. So we're going to start there with Saul next week. But right now, let's stand. And we're just going to pray, and we're going to ask God to speak to us about what he wants us to do this week. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now and we just quiet our hearts. God, let, let all the noise and the other distractions, anything that we've been thinking about, what's next, where are we going to go after church, what are we doing, just let all those noises and those voices be quiet right now. We just still our hearts before you. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us that's, that still small voice, that loud voice, the, the internal prompting of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, those nudges we get, we just ask that you would speak to us right now. Prompt us about what you would want us to do this week. going to encourage you right now. Whatever just popped into your head, we're not going to be super formal. We're not going to stay in this reverent posture all afternoon, but I just want you to take a moment to somehow remember it. If something just popped into your head, that's what he's speaking to you about. You may need to put it in your phone right now. You may need to write yourself a note. You may need to pray about it later. God, when, when we prayed Sunday morning, all I saw was a picture of Dave in my head. You know, what's that about? What should I do for him? Is it just give him a call this week? Pray about it later if all you got was that picture. But if he spoke specifically, don't let it go. Take a minute before we even leave this moment to write something down to remind yourself. And Lord, I, I thank you that when you ask us to do things, you give us your grace and empowerment to do them. Whew, what a deal. You ask us to do impossible things and then you make them possible by your power. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask for everybody in this room right now, Lord, that you would quicken us uh, with the power to obey the grace that comes upon our lives when we know we've heard your voice. And Lord, I, even, I thank you in advance for just reminding us how much you love us and you're faithful if we forget what you said to do in this moment. <laughs> ah, Lord, we just want to be used by you. We want to be a light for you. We want to let others know how much you love us. And Lord, sometimes it really is those, those simple actions that make a difference in others' lives to know how good you are. God, we ask for your power and your strength right now that as we leave this place, uh, we would leave. Uh, even as, as we read that verse, that we are looking to be taught and encouraged and that you give us hope that there are lessons that we can learn that give us hope for the future that you can move and you can do amazing things fill us with that hope lord jesus right now we honor you we thank you for your blessing being upon our lives as we go from this place let your goodness and your mercy be seen everywhere that we go let your light shine through us lord jesus that others may know and see that you are alive and that you love them bless you. We honor you. We thank you for who you are, Lord, in Jesus' name.